Well, hello everybody, how you doing? Yeah, good, you're looking forward to getting into God's Word. I hope so, I certainly am, and it's a pleasure to welcome all of you to Pathway. Whether, welcome whether you are here, <coughs> excuse me, in the room, whether you are checking this out online, or maybe in our Moon Campus or Classic Venue. Wherever this finds you, we're glad that you are here. Christmas is getting very close, and I hope that you're excited and, and you're uh, well on your way to having all of those preparations made. But if we, or if we don't get to the place where we've made preparation in our own heart, then uh, we just haven't made it there. And so that's what we're going to be all about today is uh, making room. That's our series that we are in in these days and looking forward to taking you into another topic where we're going to dig into this. There's a Canada-based company, airline. It is called WestJet. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but uh, it's one that has been in the news quite a bit lately because they've been getting a bit of a reputation as a company that has care and compassion, especially for their passengers and even for their employees. And uh, this has been very much brought to the forefront here recently. It's possible that you would have seen a news story or two about some of what they have been doing because what they tend to do is is at Christmas time, they have some sort of special surprise they carry out for their passengers, and an occasion they in, uh, occasionally they involve their their employees in that as well. And the one that probably put them on the map for this, the one that kind of got the most press, was a few years back, where they set up this huge. It looked like a gift box, and there was like this screen, and it looked like Santa was inside and was talking to people as they would walk up to this box. Well, he wasn't actually inside. It was actually one of their employees dressed up as Santa, but he was somewhere else in front of a green screen, but the way that this worked is that people were encouraged to come up to this box and to stand there in front of it and to scan their boarding pass, which is really important because that told Santa and everybody else who this person was that he was talking to. And so what Santa would do is he'd talk to them for a moment, and then he'd ask what they would really like for Christmas. And so people would tell them what they would like, and, and uh, that was that. And uh, then dozens and dozens of people came up and did this, and they all thought, oh, this is really cute. And then they got on their cross-country flight. What they didn't know was because they'd scanned their boarding pass, they knew who these people were, that on the destination end of this flight, there were people who now know what these people were requesting for Christmas. They all of a sudden go running off to the mall and to stores and to Best Buy, and they buy up all of these things that these people have just requested of Santa. And when they got to their destination city, what came down off of the, you know, at baggage claim were all of these wrapped gifts specifically for them with their names on it, exactly what they had asked for. Isn't that pretty cool? And so some of these things were toys. There was a phone. There was a camera. There was a, a laptop. There was a tablet. There was a large screen television. There was round trip tickets to a city that somebody said, well, what I'd really want for Christmas is to be able to go and see my family. That was there for this person. The one I felt bad for was the one who said, well, what I could really use are socks and underwear. <laughs> and so when they got there coming down the chute in his box wrapped up was socks and underwear from the airline. 
I think that's really pretty cool. Now, I know that the more cynical and skeptical among us would say, oh, well, that's just, that's, just a, that's just a promotional ploy. It's just a PR move on their part. And I suppose it is good, good public relations. But at the same time, somebody there at that company had to have a spirit of compassion to come up with this idea, to dream it up in the first place, and then to convince everybody else that this is something that they needed to spend all of this money to carry out. On top of that, I think it's kind of a real thing because they've continued to do it each and every year with different ideas spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Last year what they did is that they had this big sort of Santa hat, it was a tent basically, that people went in and Santa appeared on the screen and he offered them a gift that was under a tree. They could pick anything that they wanted. And under the gift they'd open up boxes and inside would be things like $2,500 gift card or a trip for two to Rome or anywhere and round trip tickets to anywhere that WestJet flies. These are the sorts of things. Now, here was the interesting little twist to it. He said, there's your gift. That is all yours. It is yours to have. Unless you would like to donate that to a family that is in need. And so you got to see all of these people, these families wrestling with this idea of, do I keep it? Do I give it away? And uh, what was on display for the most part were people that were very compassionate. You got to see the compassion of these people who were on the receiving end now being on the giving end as well. Today what we're going to be talking about is the idea of making room to live compassionately. And the passage we're going to go to to look at this is 1 John chapter 4. And I invite you to go ahead and turn there, open up a Bible, bring your Bible every week, would you? Because we're always going to be in a passage of Scripture, and uh, this way you can follow along as we do. Now, if we're going to be people who get to the place where we learn compassion, where we learn to live this out in our own lives, it's going to take some intentionality because compassion doesn't just happen. For any of us, even if you say, I'm a compassionate person, it doesn't just happen. We don't just stumble into compassion. We get there because it's an intentional move that we have made. And as we come to 1 John chapter 4, you might say, wait a second, there aren't any angels or shepherds in 1 John 4. And you're right, but it still is a Christmas passage as it talks to us about the incarnation, the coming of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at all of that. Incarnation just means that. It's Jesus coming into our world. And John, the author, has some things to tell us that are going to assist us in learning to take on compassion and learning to live compassionately. And so we're going to take a look at those. There's some principles we're going to gain out of this. You have the outline there that you can follow along with, jot some things down, transfer those over into your journal. I hope you're still bringing that. And we're going to take a look at this today. And if we can learn these, we're going to be a changed people. And we are going to change other people if we learn to live it out. And I guarantee that that will happen. So, what is this that John tells us that we can learn from? Let's go ahead and dig in. The first step to embrace, if we're going to make room to live compassionately, is that we need to learn to take on a transformed perspective. We need a transformed perspective. As John gets started in this passage, what he has to say should cause us to stop for a moment. It should arrest our attention. It, could, it should make us think about what it is that he is saying here. Living compassionately is something that's going to require that we would take a focus off of ourselves, which is not the way that we typically live, which is why we need to transform our perspective to start with if we're going to figure out what this is going to look like and how we go ahead and carry it out. So John writes something here to throw us a bit off balance. And he starts out, verse 7, 
First John chapter 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, if you, yes, thank you for that. I'm glad that you did that. I don't know if you heard what he did. He just said 1 John 4, 7 and 8 because this is basically a song that, um, that a lot of people learned when they were growing up in church or that sort of a thing. And because of that, because these verses are familiar, either because you know that song or because you're, you've just heard them many times, familiarity, familiarity is something that tends to make us just zip through or kind of hear it in our ears, but we don't really hear it in our minds. And this is one of those verses, or a couple of those verses, where we really need to dig in and pay attention. So, so let's take a look at this a little more closely. Verse 7, it says, here at the end of it, it says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, I ask you the question, can that be true? That everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Is he really saying that everyone who has a love for somebody else is a believer in Jesus? Because that's what it sounds like. Well, we have to consider what the rest of the scriptures say too, and it calls, they call us to repentance and receiving the forgiveness of God. It calls us to belief. And so perhaps that's not exactly what he's getting at here. Well, it could also be that he's saying the opposite, which is that those, only those who are believers in Jesus are truly able to other, love, other, love other people in their lives. But that can't be it either because I know plenty of people who are not followers of Jesus, who don't love Jesus, who most definitely love their spouse and love their kids. I would never call that love into question. And so if it's neither of those, which seem to be the two possibilities that he's talking about here, how are we to understand what John is driving at? That's a really good question. There's a love that all mankind is able to give and receive back and forth with one another. It happens around us all the time, which we're going to call human love. All right? Now, I'm not saying that in a pejorative sort of way. It's not like it's weak or bad or anything of that nature. In fact, it's actually very strong. It's actually very powerful, and we see it all around us all the time. It is a love that we see going back and forth between humans all of the time. And you've been a part of that yourself over time. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually an overflow of the image of God that is in us. That's where it has its source. And as such, it's beautiful. Every believer, every non-believer has the capacity for human love. And it's carried out around us all the time. And because of that, it's possible for someone to proceed through most all of life thinking that human love is really what love is. It's all the love that is there. It's all that can be experienced. It's all that can be lived out. And that happens all the time. And as a result, our capacity for compassion is understood underneath somehow that nature of love. And so that's what happens typically around us all the time. Here's the thing. That's not what John is talking about. That's not the sort of love that John has in mind here in 1 John chapter 4. To understand these verses, we need to see that there's a distinction that exists between this human love that does have a God's source, but isn't fully what we're going to call, what John's talking about, we're going to call it divine love. We're going to call this divine love. Love. This is a love that's centered in and characteristic of God's very nature. It's sacrificial. It is selfless. It is looking to the needs and the cares and the interests of another person, irrespective of what one's own needs 
are. And it's able to reach beyond barriers of politics and barriers of, of race and of division and of anger and of strife and prejudice and all sorts of things to be sure. Human love isn't able to sustain all of that. Now, many honest efforts have been made for sure to show that sort of love or to try to get over those sort of natural barriers that have existed for years and years and years in our world, but human love cannot sustain that, which means that those of us who are believers in Jesus actually have a responsibility to be on the front end of seeing change happen in our world because we're the ones who have come to experience what this sort of divine love is really all about. We're the ones who have experience with it, and so if it's going to go forward in a way that is going to last and stick and change, we're the ones who are on the hook to really be out on the front lines and moving this forward, and you'll see more of why that is the case. What is needed is a transformed perspective of understanding what love really fully is and how we might fully live that out. So when John says that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, this is the love that he has in mind. And apart from the presence of God within, we don't have the capacity to live that out. But with the love of God within, with the relationship with Jesus Christ, we do have the capacity and the responsibility to carry that forward. We're going to live compassionately. We need to transform our perspective on how far the genuine love of God is actually able to take us. And John wants to push that point. He wants to get our attention, but he's not done pushing the point. That's just the introduction, essentially, is what he is saying. There is a different sort of love for us to understand and to engage with, and that's where he starts. You've got to transform your perspective to understand that there's a level beyond which we typically go, and certainly beyond which we see expressed around us. And that's where he goes next. He adds that not only does living compassionately require a, a, a transformed perspective, it also requires a charitable spirit. Number two, charitable spirit. John knows that this is a high call that he's placing on us, and he wants to make sure that we understand. Because sometimes when something is difficult to understand, what, it helps to maybe be given an example, right? That sometimes helps to fill us in. And so that's what he does right here, verse 9. He gives us an example. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Merry Christmas, everybody. There you go. That is the Christmas story right there, that Jesus comes into our world. There is no more beautiful demonstration of what sacrificial love really is all about or what divine love is all about than Jesus coming into our world, leaving the glories of heaven behind and entering into essentially a stable. It's a step of humility. It's a step of sacrifice. And he is saying that's what this love looks like. It's sacrificial. It's looking to the benefit of somebody else over against looking to your own benefit alone. Then John's like, want another example? He says, try this one, verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John moves very quickly from the cradle to the cross because both of them are perfect descriptions. Both of them are perfect examples of what divine love is all about. It's sacrificial. It is coming from one toward another for the benefit of the other, not the benefit 
necessarily of the one who is living it out. That's what the difference is here. It's also interesting that John emphasizes that this love is not that we love God, but that he loved us. What that means is that there was nothing that we did to earn or to deserve that love coming from God. It's not like God was, well, I guess I'm going to have to do that now because they've been so loving toward me that I'm going to have to reciprocate back toward them. In that sense, God's love is not reciprocal. God doesn't love mankind because he owes us anything. If that's what it was, if it wasn't just an expression of divine love, then it wouldn't be love. It would be obligation. But this is love that he is demonstrating here. It's the fact that he gives us everything when he owes us nothing that makes it transforming. And as we move forward in this Advent season, we need to Imagine a love, friends, we need to imagine a love that is one-sided. A love that is one-sided. We need to recognize that that's what God demonstrated toward us. Paul talks about that, right? Pretty familiar verse. You probably know it. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. One-sided love is gospel love. It is sacrificial love. It is seeking the benefit of another person above your own. And as soon as we move out of that realm to a place where we say that if you don't reciprocate my love, then that's going to stop love flowing forward to you from me, then it ceases at that point to be divine love. It can't possibly be that because we're insisting that this would be a back and forth at that point. Would that be characteristic of human love? Sure it would. Yes, absolutely. And we see that around us all the time. And actually, that's oftentimes why, why relationships that are centered in human love fail because this balance of reciprocation back and forth of you giving enough to me so that I feel like giving enough to you that falls apart. And human love cannot sustain it when the balance gets too far out of whack. Divine love can sustain it. Divine love can take us further. And we need to take on this charitable spirit of Christ that can conceive of a love flowing that is one directional. The world does not get this. I was reading one psychologist and she wrote this. She said, one-sided love is not love. Her point is simply, if love is not reciprocated, then there's never love there to begin with. And that's just not true. That's just not true. There are all sorts of examples that we would point to. One, the first one that came to my mind was a Pathway family from a number of years ago. They've since moved out of state. But they were here, and they had a daughter that was uh, profoundly handicapped. And there was no way that this child could respond back, could reciprocate back to them. Now, that didn't stop their love from flowing. I mean, their love was bold, and it was strong, and they loved her like I've never seen anybody love another child, and certainly as much so and beyond. They brought her to church every week. She couldn't even begin to process what was being spoken. She didn't have that sort of capacity. But they were always here. She was always here. She'd occasionally make, you know, some loud noises in the service, and we always considered it to be her amen, though uh, it, it wasn't that per se. But they just continued to love on her, make sacrifices for her, and it never waned. And they would not even can have considered it to themselves a sacrifice. It was just love. But it was most definitely one-sided. It was not being reciprocated. But it was genuine love. It was divine love. 
that was being demonstrated in that circumstance. Now, this sort of love isn't motivated out of obligation. It's much purer than that. It comes from the desire to provide the best for the other person, which is how Jesus loves, what we see here in this passage. And we need to make room in our hearts and our minds to embrace that understanding. And as we do so, we can live in a way compassionately that demonstrates something that goes beyond what anybody around would see, which is important, John says, for what he wants to make his point next. And that's where he moves on to the last piece of this. Uh, if we're going to make room to live compassionately, that is that we also need to come to understand and recognize and embrace what is a God-revealing love. A God-revealing love. John tells us where we need to take this. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, how was that? Sacrificially, selflessly, looking to the need of the other person, we also ought to love one another. Understanding the true nature of the love of God will transform what we see this verse calling us to go and do. This is not just a, a generic sort of thing, a casual sort of love that he is talking about here. That's how we use it. Think of all of the different ways that we use the word love. The other day I said to somebody, I love my vacuum. <laughs> it's like, what? I love the Steelers, you might say. Somebody might say, I love fruitcake. I wouldn't say that. Even though somebody gives me a fruitcake every year, and they have been for many, many years, I don't know who this person is. It might be somebody sitting right here. But I don't even know who this person is, but they keep giving me every year. They've already, I've already gotten it this year. And it just makes me smile, and it just makes me happy when I get it. But uh, I love fruitcake might be something that you hear somebody. We use that sort of word all the time, and we sort of diminish it because of the things that we attach to it. Well, it's not diminished if we connect it to Christ. Not, not, at, not at all. This is a call to demonstrate this sort of divine love in our relationship with others that Christ has shown to us. And this is interesting because John isn't telling us that since God loved us, we should love him in return. That's not what he says. You might expect that. And there's nothing wrong with loving God in return for the love that he extends to us, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying it would be wonderful if you and God had this nice little holy huddle together where you can just celebrate the fact that you love one another so much. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that, but that's not what you're being called to do. In fact, you look throughout the Scriptures and you'll find that's rarely what you're called to do. What you're called to instead is that when you've experienced this love of God, that you would take and you would demonstrate that love to somebody else. And that you would live it forward towards somebody else and serve somebody else. That's what he's talking about. And why is that John's heart? Verse 12 tells us. He writes, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We might wonder why he's saying that we've never seen God when he made the point that we've seen Jesus, that Jesus came into our world. It's like, well, what, which way is it? Well, it's not really a, a conflict here. If you look back to verse 9, which is where he said that in the first place, he writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. You can see there he's not using God in a generic sort of way. He's using it in a specific way. He's identifying God the Father has sent God the Son into the world. There's a distinction that he is making there. And so essentially he's saying, we've never seen God the Father which is true, but his point here is that you can see it, essentially, or we can help him to be seen. 
in the way that we live. He says again, verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. In other words, when we display the sort of love that Jesus has demonstrated for us, this divine love that we have been talking about, we become a manifestation of God. Think about that. You are a manifestation of God when you live out this sort of divine love. That's John's point. It's a high call. It also means the stakes are very high. We're a representative of the divine. That just kind of causes us to shake in our boots just a little bit. It means that we must not be willing to sell out to a lesser form of love because God is not honored when a world is watching in on you as one who proclaims that you know Jesus Christ. God is not honored if as they look in and watch you, you are simply living out a love that everybody sees all around them, a human love that anybody would demonstrate, anybody has the capacity to demonstrate. God is honored when people look on one who is a believer in Jesus Christ who is living out the sort of love that points only to God and reveals something to them about God that they would not, could not have learned any other way. And that's what you have the power and the opportunity to do and the responsibility to do. That you would live out this God-revealing love. So what I want us to do, what I want to challenge you to do is to make room, to make room in your heart to embrace this idea of living out the sort of love that reflects the love of Jesus, to make room to genuinely live compassionately. What might it look like in your life this next week if you actually took up that challenge to do so? How might it impact the interaction that you have with people in your workplace? If you were to take on this idea that I'm going to demonstrate this sort of love, it is, whether it's a one-sided love or whether there's something coming back, I'm going to live this forward to demonstrate something to people around me that they perhaps have never seen before. What would that look like in your neighborhood? What would that look like in your own home? Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your children, because sometimes the people that we fail to love the most are the ones that, we're, or that, we, fail, or that we love the least, oftentimes or show the love of God to the least, are the ones that we're with the most. And what about with your church family, with other people as well? See, we're all products of a culture that has taught us reciprocal relationships. We want those scales to be pretty even. And so if you're warm and friendly toward me, I'll be warm and friendly back toward you. No problem with that whatsoever. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. Balances are even, scales even. If you start to talk bad about me, then I just might start to talk bad about you. Or I might start to ignore you. Or something is going to break that down because the scales have now gotten off. And we want to keep the scales even. And we come by this very, very naturally. In fact, we've been taught to live that since we were kids. Right? You grew up being taught to share, didn't you? Yeah, we should share with one another. We should keep things even. If Johnny gets a jelly bean, then Billy should get a jelly bean also. We are taught to take turns. And I'm not saying there's anything even wrong with that. It helps us to, to get along and get along with one another. And that's all fine. Unfortunately, it's the same thing that keeps us from living compassionately in a divine love sort of way. If you really stop to think about it. 
If we're going to pattern our actions after Jesus and His sacrificial Spirit entering into our world, we need to develop a heart that is willing to give in circumstances where it's not going to be reciprocated. Where it's not going to come back to you. Now, I already can sense or believe that there is some objection that's forming in your mind about this. And part of that might be, well, look, Pastor Jeff, if I do that, if I give in a context where I know it's not going to come back or it doesn't come back and I'm still willing to give in that context, then what's going to happen is I'm going to get taken advantage of or I'm going to look like a fool or things aren't going to be even and, I won't, and I'll know they're not even and so I'll just feel like it's the wrong thing to do. And I get that. And we're going to find ourselves in that situation. And sometimes, you know what? That's just a risk that we have to take. Stepping out in such a way is a risk worth taking. And I'm not saying that there aren't certain circumstances. And hear me when I say this. There aren't certain circumstances, maybe in marriage or maybe in some other sort of relationship, where this is, a, is something that can be taken advantage of. And typically in that sort of, sort of context, it's where one person is trying to manipulate the other person. They're trying, to, they're trying to use their willingness to be sacrificial, to take advantage of them, to tell them that there are these extra things that they need to do to make it an unhealthy relationship. And if that's the kind of relationship that you're in, especially if it's in your marriage relationship, then that's just a red flag that's signaling something much deeper and much broader, which Honestly, you should go and you should seek some professional counseling um, to go and to speak into that. But the possibility of a negative outcome shouldn't keep us from expressing a Jesus-style sort of divine love. There are plenty of circumstances where it would be appropriate for you to take a first step of compassion without your first consideration being, now is this going to come back for me? Is there something that I'm going to get out of this? Because if there's not, I'm not really all that willing to enter in. This is saying, regardless of what might come back, and chances are you're not even going to have an idea whether or not it will or whether it won't. You're willing to say, you know what? This is the divine love that Jesus has modeled for us, and this is a need that I see, and I just feel called to speak to it, and I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And it might be reciprocated or it might not, and it doesn't matter. Because for our hearts, we need to follow the call that is on our lives. And you're not going to get to heaven and have, have God confront you and say, you know what, you know what, this is, this is a problem. You know, you had this opportunity to reach out and, and you did and they didn't reciprocate. Why were you so foolish to think that they ever would have? Shame on you for investing that in that. That's not going to happen. I think that's another one of those well done, good and faithful servants because you picked up on the sense of what divine love and who knows how God might not choose to use that in a circumstance around you and show Jesus to other people because of the way that you've stepped out, because of the way that we've stepped out. Now I'm very pleased that at Pathway there are all sorts of things that we do to, to foster this, certainly in the Christmas season, actually all the way around the year, but, but there are lots of things that we could point to in the Christmas season that are all about reaching out in ways where we know there's nothing coming back. There's no reciprocation. Right now we're in the middle of, uh, of Angel Tree, right? And I'm sure that several of you have purchased gifts that are going to go to children and of prison inmates, and that's not coming back to you. 
You're not even going to get a thank you other than from us because we're very appreciative of the fact that you do that. But that's in this spirit. It's stepping out. It's reaching out in such a way to demonstrate the love of Jesus. And you can be sure that lives are being impacted impacted, and I believe that God is being seen in a way that otherwise would not have happened. Another thing that's going on right now is our Give Joy to the World initiative, and there are three different pieces to that. There's information that's there in your Pathway Notes today, and it, it tells you about three different components to our Give Joy to the World project. One of those is water. We've been doing water for about a dozen years now. This year it's going to be in India providing for people who have no access to clean water, which is causing tremendous difficulty and hardship and death. People dying from things they just don't need to die from. And so it's an opportunity for us to step in and to make a difference. And we have to the tune of over three quarters of a million dollars over those years putting in dozens and dozens of wells. And the living water of Jesus goes right along with that, and so people are coming to faith. Another piece of that is the project that we're doing in Orkarkar, Kenya. Our church has pretty much single-handedly, together with our partner, have been doing a project there where there's educational hope provided, spiritual hope. A church has sprung up and has, it has grown to huge numbers. The school has grown to huge numbers. There's medical assistance that we're being able to give. Just our congregation is making that a reality. And a piece of, of Give Joy is going to go to continue to move that project forward. And also right here closer to home, right in our own county, we are going to be hosting a food packing event. There is more food shortage in Beaver County than you might be aware of, and we're going to be a part together with several other area churches. We're going to come together. It's going to be right here at Pathway. We're going to have a packing event to put these meals together, and they're going to be available for distribution at all these different pantries throughout Beaver County. And it's going to meet a very real need that is right here at home. And as you give to that project, Nothing's coming back. You're not going to be getting a thank you. Uh, you might, you'll have some opportunity to understand the impact that has been made through those dollars, but it's something that we choose to do sacrificially. And you can see the, how you get involved with Give Joy right there in, in the pathway notes today. I think there's even an envelope in there maybe this weekend, that uh, you could use and you could drop those things just in the normal offering bucket. There's a table out in the lobby. Uh, we'd love to see you connect to that as God would uh, lead you to do so. All of these things, just ways to try to foster in our own hearts the spirit of living out a divine love. And there are loads of other opportunities that are going to pop up in your life. Before, before uh, this next week is out, you're going to see some opportunity. And I just want to encourage you, and I want, you to, I want to challenge you to engage rather than to walk away. I know how easy it is to say, well, you know, if I give to this, then who knows what's going to happen to that. And if I help this person out, or I mean, are they going to, if they hadn't done that in their life, then they wouldn't have been in need now. And Friends, if God is leading you and opening your heart toward a circumstance, take that as a leading from God. And go for it. And go for it and just see how it might not bless you, and see as you live compassionately how the person of God himself would be manifest before other people, and how they might just respond in coming into relationship themselves with God. 
because they have seen him in you. That's where all of this living compassionately stuff is about. Yes, it's to meet real needs, and we hope that we're able to do that. But ultimately, if we, ultimately, if we can meet a need and point to Jesus at the same time so that there might be ultimate life that goes beyond just the immediate need being met, so much the better. And so we're striving in these days to make room. You need, you're going to need to make room in your own mind, in your own heart, to be willing to enter into a circumstance where otherwise you've been reluctant in the past. But as you do so, we'll be living out the purposes of Christ and following the example of Christ at the same time. So friends, let's make room to live compassionately. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for John, for the for the message that he has proclaimed to us in these verses that we can look at, that we can be challenged by. Lord, it can be very easy to, to turn our heads from needs that are around us. Sometimes we don't understand them. Sometimes we don't know just what the need might happen to be. And so because we don't have full awareness, we we move away. We turn a different direction. We close off our hearts. Father, we want to be a people. We want to be a church that recognize what this sort of divine love is all about, a love that is demonstrated by Jesus in coming into our world that we celebrate at this season of the year, a love that is demonstrated by Jesus going to the cross, a love that is one-sided, a love that doesn't have to be reciprocated in order for us to express it. So I just pray that you would give us that conviction, that courage, that boldness, that call, and that compassion to enter in so that we might be able to address real needs, so that we might be able to break down barriers that exist between people and races. There's so much division existing in our world, and we want to reveal you to those who are around us and sometimes we have difficulty putting our testimony into words. Sometimes we have difficulty in witnessing to another person. Well, Lord, here's an opportunity simply through the way that we live to proclaim your name, to be your ambassador, to be a, man, to be a manifestation of your very person. Lord, that's a huge responsibility, and we take it very seriously. And we pray going forward in this week and beyond that we would be quickly responsive to opportunities that are there, that we might create some opportunities ourselves as we look at neighbors and how we might be able to reach out with a step of kindness, with a gift, with something that just says we love you and God does too. So Lord, open our minds, open our hearts to make room to live compassionately, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.